0: Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer, so if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So, it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl on True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. And tonight, we're going to be talking about an urban legend um, called... The seven gates of hell. I've heard about the. I've heard about the seven gates, when I was little, and it always fascinated me because I'm like, hmm, I wonder if they're real. I don't know. I don't think I want to find out either. So, I had to fight for my life. Right? Um, you're probably thinking what? Well, I was sitting on the couch getting everything ready to podcast and I look over on my wall in my living room and I see something and I'm like my my eyes are playing tricks on me because I thought it was a spider but I'm like no no and I'm, I'm terrified of spiders so like I walk over and it's a spider so I had to grab my youngest son's shoe after I put him to bed and I had to squish it and then it jumped on my couch and then I had to like hurry up and get it off my couch so I could squish that spider. It was either me or the spider and I wasn't losing to no spider. But this is going to be probably a little bit shorter. Just like a little mini episode for you guys. Like just a tiny one. And it's Wednesday so I figured, hey, why not? So. We're actually going to talk about two um, seven gates of hell in two different places because the first one I found I couldn't find a lot on. So that would have been like a ten minute video and I didn't want to do that. So the first one. The seven gates of hell like I said is an urban legend. Um, And it is um, the location is in. York, Pennsylvania, which, guys, I'm from Pennsylvania, and I know exactly where York is because I grew up in York County, so, ooh, um, and the town I actually am going to talk about, I lived there up until, I believe, fourth grade, like, middle of fourth grade, I moved to the next town over, all right, so, from what i found there are two versions versions of this legend um that they say exist and the first one is involves a burnt insane asylum and the other is involving an eccentric doctor both agreed that there were there are seven gates of hell in a wooded area of hellum township and that's the town i lived in up until the middle of fourth grade This, like I said, and it is said that anyone who passes through all seven gates go directly to hell. Which, I mean, yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, if you're going to find the seven gates of hell, you're probably not going to get into heaven, guys. You're probably going to go to hell. It's not called the seven gates of heaven. No, it's called the seven gates of hell. The location in question never how. So, the more I read on, like, different sites, they kind of debunked the first one, and they say, like, there was never an institution, and the aforementioned doctor only constructed one gate, and that was to keep out trespassers, so the doctor was true, but they were like, no, there's no insane asylum that burnt here, so you're crazy. Despite the popularity of this, um, as a tourist destination, the pro- the property is privately held, and v- visitors who visit, like where the gate is, where the trespasser sign is, could be charged with trespassing as a result. Which makes sense because if you stumble onto a little property or something and says private property, you're gonna be charged with trespassing. Duh. Mine, and like I said, mind you, no Asayan Asylum existed. But the legend says that you only see the one gate that the, the doctor put up during the day. And supposedly the other six appear at night, which is kind of weird. And these gates lie on, like I said, private property just off the town's Trot Run Road. I heard another there was another road that I didn't put on. And they were like, it's actually Trot Run Road, which I don't know where that's at. And it said, you know, no one has ever actually passed the five gates and returned to talk about the experience. Other people claim that Hellum Township was named after hell itself. And it's are also dispelled... The name comes from a corruption of Harlem Shire in an area of South Yorkshire. And guys, that's really all I could find on like the first legend of Seven Gates in Hallam. There wasn't much, much. There wasn't much because every time I tra- kept trying to like look it up, it would bring me to like a very little bit and not. It just wouldn't give me information, so I'm like, alright, I guess that's it. So first, urban legend. But, like I said, I did some more research. Sorry, I'm watching Cutthroat Kitchen, so I just stopped. Because I wanted to see who went home. Um, Like I said, I did more research, and this one actually popped up first. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about this one. But then I went back to it, and this Seven Gates of Hell is found in Collinsville, Illinois. And in Collinsville, Illinois, you can be driving, you can actually, like, drive through the Seven Gates of Hell. And what I'm going to read from you, this person did it. So we're going to see about their stuff, and they tell you how to get to the Seven Gates, so that's interesting. Let's begin, shall we? So what are these gates? Well, the gates themselves are only are only railroad trestles built in the late 1800s. The bridges were built to help trains to get around the small mining town. What is left along Lebanon Road in Collinsville? has deteriorate, deteriorated. And over the years, thick woods have grown up have grown up obscuring obscuring almost everything around the gates, which adds the spook factor. So there are two urban legends that we are first that we're going to focus on, but the first but first the rumors are rampant around these gates there are stories of hangings KKK meetings satanic rituals and paranormal activity by these seven gates whether these are true or not the dark atmosphere surrounding the gates is undeniable so we and these legends are very small and then we get it and then it what the website i found it actually who, the person who drove through the seven gates like told us about their experience and like what they did and it's going to come clear at the end i promise so the first small one is the legend says you drive through each gate in order from one to seven and then you go through the final gate exactly at midnight why is everything at midnight you know cinderella had to leave the ball by midnight that's all I can really think about. But everything... Oh, and like in Shrek where it's like first kiss um, by midnight. You know, like why is it always midnight? And when you do... This is a porter f- portal from hell that will open up. And when this portal opens up, hellhounds will come through and drag you to hell themselves. Now... If people, like, people who don't watch Supernatural, like, when I saw the thing about Hellhounds, I'm like, oh, I know what they are. I watch Supernatural. They're big, scary, freaking invisible dogs that, like, um, you can only see, in Supernatural, anyway, you can only see when you make a deal with the devil. And then they send their Hellhounds to come get you, and you can only see them. And all we see in the TV show, um, for, like, for one example... When Dean Winchester makes a a deal with the devil to um, to bring his brother Sam back to life after he was um, killed by this guy who, where he was like put in like a abandoned like town because he um, there's this demon called Yellow Eyes. And he um, had, like, special kids who were going to, like, be able to help him. Well, it was down to Sam and this other guy. I think his name was Jake. Jake Jake was his name. And Jake was from the military. And he, like, cut, like, I want to say, like, on his lower back and, like, ruptured, whatever. So it instantly should have killed him. And Dean was like, No. That didn't happen. Come to find out, he actually sold his soul, and he was given a year to live, and when his time came up, all you saw was him, like, you. he, like, heard the dogs, and there's no way to stop the dog, these hellhounds, and you see him, like, laying on the ground. Oh, my God, it's gruesome, but Supernatural's my show. Um, You just see him, like, laying on the ground, and, like, you see, like, claw marks, Right? And then he just dies. So, I would assume that, you know, that's what happens. But, I mean, I don't think they claw you. They just drag you to hell. I don't know how. I don't want to find out either. But that's what I think of Hellhounds. I connect it with Supernatural. And I'm like, huh, okay. (laughs) And then I put, sounds fun, right? Not really. And... And that's basically the first legend. And the second one, in the second legend, it says you drive through the gates in reverse. So you go from seven to one, which is weird. Which when I was writing it, I was like, that's weird. And when you drive in reverse, a terror in reality will appear. And you can glimpse, you can like glimpse by looking um, back as you drive through the gates. And supposedly you get a view of hell in your rear-view mirror. And I said, no, thank you. Because I don't want to see what hell looks like. I want to go to heaven. That That's my main goal in life, guys. That's where I want to go. I want to go to the shiny gate. I don't want to go to the pit of fire. So, yeah, big no for me. So, now how does one find these seven gates in Collinsville? Well, you're in luck because I'm actually gonna tell you, okay? So to find the first gate, you have to get to Collinsville from Route 159. As you go through, as you go through downtown, look for E Church Street, and then you turn right and follow E Church Street to the cemetery. Make sure you stay to the left as you pass the cemetery. I don't know why. You just have to, you just got to stay left. E. Church Street eventually changes to Lebanon Road. And there is a road to the left that you can pull over to take a picture if you want. And this is, this is all from a person who drove through the gates. Because I guess they stopped and took a took a picture because they thought it was nice scenery. I don't know why they did. However, it is hard to see cars coming through the gate from the left when you pull out from there, so you have to be very careful. Be careful, guys! Can't stress that enough. The gate is probably the um, this gate is probably the most open. So the creep factor is a low on this one. Not, not much, really. Um, this person drove through that gate during the day. So maybe that's why. But they say it might take a completely different vibe type thing at night. Which, everything's scarier at night, you know? Gate two. You come across gate 2, half a mile from the first gate. Keep your eyes open as it is a sharp left. You have to make a left turn on Lockman Road to reach gates 3 and 4. If you miss this turn, you will miss the, you will miss the gate as Lock, Lockman Road meets back up to Lebanon Road after gate 4. But don't worry. We're gonna come back to gates three and four. Gate two has some ominous stories surrounding it. One story is a is a young African American boy chased by the KKK and is caught and hung at gate two. Which one? How terrible is that? That's not right. Another story has two friends arguing. Over a girl. First off. Why does everybody fight over girls or boys? There's plenty of other people. That I'm pretty sure you would be better off with. Don't sell your short foot. Because you can't get this one girl. No guys. But the one hangs himself. And the other friend. Who he was fighting with. Eventually feels remorse. And then he decides to hang himself as well. Which is sad, because they both committed suicide because of a girl, I guess. Oh, that's sad. Supposedly, you can see spirits of a man and a child by this gate and hanging bodies at midnight once again. What is up with the midnight? Back to gate three. So, Gate 3 is half a mile from Gate 2 on Lockman Road. It will be on the right in Longhine Road. After some cement structures, the gate dips down and it is tough to see if any cars are coming in the opposite direction. A helpful reminder for you to drive carefully As these are all country roads and are very narrow with little to no shoulder. So there's nowhere you can just pull off, like, you know, on the highway where there's that shoulder. And you can just pull off to the side. You can't do that here because they're country roads. So gates three and four are actually called twin gates as they are very close together. The stories for these two gates are that satanic rituals and animal sacrifices happened... Between these gates. And I put. Yikes. Because that's a lot of bad stuff. Like why are we torturing animals and stuff guys. A weird thing that might happen. Between these gates. Is. Is this. You have to make a quick turn. To the left. Going through gate three. This. This person pulled over, sorry I lost my page, pulled over quickly as gate 4 is only 400 feet away. And you can hear a car approaching very quickly from the direction of 4, so from gate 4. So this person ended up staying in their car and they opened the window to like get a picture to see, oh cool I'm not the only one doing this I guess. As they waited for the car to appear for a while, the car never came. That's creepy. They swore they heard the car, and then I put spooky, right? Because that would be pretty spooky because, you know, if you hear something and it doesn't happen, like, you think you're crazy. But they were like, nope, I heard the car, this is what happened. Gate 4 is just plain creepy. It has far it has by far the spookiest factor surrounding it. They were fascinated by this gate. They drove through and they kept going, but they decided to go back for a closer look at the gate and they ended up turning the car and they actually parked the car before they parked the car before the gate on the right so just off the road they just were like yep i'm going back because they were fascinated by gate four don't know why all the gates are covered in graffiti but this gate also had leftovers from whatever happened here at night which you can only imagine right and i don't think i want to know i mean i kind of want to know but i kind of don't once you pass gate 4 on Long High Road, it connects back to Lebanon Road. Follow Lebanon Road past Heck Road and Bonestiel Road. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it sounded right. You will need to take a left turn onto S Liberty Road. It's a country road and it is narrow. The fifth gate is approximately one mile at the bottom of the hill. There is nowhere to pull over before this gate. All you can see is a very very narrow dark tunnel that you have to go through without seeing through the other side. And then I said, yeah, guys, that's a hard no for me because if I can't see the end of the light at the end of the tunnel like there, I'm not going down and I'm turning around and I'm taking my butt home. That's me. Liberty Road merges into W Mill Road Creek. The sixth gate is about half a mile from where the roads merge. This gate happens to be confused with another called Acid Bridge. The Acid Bridge's story is that there was a group of teens tripping on LSD and had a fiery car crash into or off a bridge. Supposedly, you can see a ghost car that reenacts this event at the bridge, which, I'm not going to lie, sounds pretty... Sounds pretty cool, guys. I'm not gonna lie about that. But I don't, I don't know if I saw, if I was driving down a road and I saw a ghost doing this. I, and I, I'd pee my pants probably and be like, oh, or actually maybe not pee my pants. I might be like, where's my phone so I can Snapchat it because no one's ever gonna believe this. But yeah, they didn't find anything untoward the sixth gate as it's surrounded by farms and farmers. Um, farmers farms and farmers farmers harvesting their fields and finally gate seven. It is the furthest away from the other gates and most people actually give up before they reach it, which yeah. We call them smart guys. We call them smart people, guys, because ain't no way I'm doing this. So, good for them people who just turned away, turned around and said, I'm done. Good job. So, you stay on top of W Mill Creek Road until it stops at Troy O'Fallon Road. Cross the intersection to continue on E Mill Creek Road until you come to a stop sign at Blackjack Road. Then turn left on Blackjack Road. Then you will be turning right onto Bavier Road. Bavier Road will take you directly through the seventh gate. This person said the last gate to them was not very ominous as the concluding one to open the portal to hell, which you would think because you reached the final gate. Um, And it was, they say it was right after the farms, and they found it to be charming, and they even stopped to take pictures of cows. Yes, cows. They said, don't ask why. They did it, they just did on their camera roll. They had cows, sheeps, you know, whatever else was just on their camera roll. (laughs) And I was like, LOL. It's just something that they did. And they also drove through the seven gates of hell during the middle of the day. And they said if they try this at night, like around midnight, of course, they're sure they would be writing a different story and everything like that because night obviously is when you want to do it. But yeah, guys, that is the urban legends of seven gates of hell. And... I hope you liked it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed our Urban Legend. I have another Urban Legend that I'm going to probably do next Wednesday. Um, I don't know what case I'm going to do for Friday or Saturday morning. I'm still thinking about that, but I'm going to start. I'm going to look around and see what I can find. But like I said, this was a short one. Um... Thank you guys for listening to my podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Write a review because I can't find anybody who reviewed me yet. And I want to review, but then I kind of don't because I don't want people to be mean. But you can follow me on Instagram at Crime. You can also send me a Gmail if you want me to do a story that you're interested in. In at just a girl in at gmail.com. I don't know if I said my email. You can follow my Facebook page at just a girl in true You can also f- subscribe to my YouTube that I have not put up yet, but I have a YouTube called just a girl in true crime. Um, and I think that's it, guys. Um, Thank you for all the people, all the new listeners I've been getting. Um, United States is super high in our ratings, and we have a lot of other people that's growing. Like I got new listeners from Singapore, Kenya, and then today from Puerto Rico. Um, I appreciate all of you guys, and you're awesome, and I also just want to say this, this isn't the case, but hello, Fresh. please sponsor your girl, because I want to try the meals, <laughs> sponsor me guys, come on, but guys, that is it for tonight, um, and I'll be talking to you guys either Friday night or early Saturday morning, depending on when I podcast, bye. Hey guys, welcome back to Just a True, just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. And tonight, we're going to be talking about a story called The Watcher House. It's definitely a strange one, if you ask me. And, I kept my promise, I uploaded Friday, it's only 11 p.m., At night and I'm getting it out for you so I can stay on top of it so I thought this was gonna be like a mini episode type thing but I have like five pages of research that I found on this case so it might be a little bit longer Um, so let's let's start cuz it's a lot to unpack um this case gives me the chills the heaves and it probably will give you guys creepy vibes as well. So a man named William H. Davies, who later became Westfield's mayor, had bought the house for a buck in 1913. Um, buying a house... For a dollar in that time is just bonkers to me. I, I've never heard such a thing. But yes, the watcher, named such for his slash its pension for watching the home and its inhabitants, and stated in one of the anonymous missives. That he's been spying on the house since 1920. You know. Normal. Could the. Watcher be tied to Davies? Did the watcher watch Davies? Who really knows? Davies moved out in 1947. But not before the house was struck by lightning in 1932, which caused which caused some structural damage to the roof. He ended up selling the house to his son and his daughter-in-law for the same amount, $1. Selling a spacious home to one son for $1 is a thing. But the pair eventually sold it to Diller and Mary Bird in 1951 for another dollar. So these people are just selling this house for a dollar. You get it for a dollar. You get it for a dollar. You know this meme. I was writing this down. And this is what a meme popped in my mind. Did you ever see that meme where um with Oprah and she's like. You get a dildo. You get a dildo. Everybody gets a dildo. That's what I thought of. Don't know why. That meme is the funniest meme I've ever heard of, but give me one second. Oh man. Okay. I wanted to pause my show. But I think my youngest unplugged my thing to charge it, so... Yeah, that happened. Alright, it's alright, I'll do it after. So, like I said, they sold it to the birds in 1951. In keeping with this decidedly bizarre tradition, the birds turned it over (laughs) for another dollar to the Bakesies in 1953... In 1955, they handed it off to the Schaefer for, can anybody guess? Yep, you guessed it, a dollar. One dollar is roughly the equivalent to $8.79 today. The home remained in the hands of the Schaefer's until the 1990s. So, I wasn't even born yet, I wasn't born for another six years And then it was eventually bought by the Woods. The Woods were the the owners who sold it to the Brodus family for a cool $1.3 million. And they are now facing a lawsuit for failing to disclose that the place was being surveilled by a psychopath slash murder ghost. And I'm going to come back to that at the end. And then I said... What the hell? <laughs> is the Watcher a relative of, the, of Davies? Was this whole thing a ploy from a jealous neighbor? Who wants the place for cheaper? Like, say, a dollar? Or is this place doomed? So, Derek and Maria Brodus couldn't have been more excited to move into their dream house at 1657 boulevard in the well-to-do town of westfield new jersey but as soon as the couple was preparing to settle into their 1.3 million dollar house with their three children they received this disturbing note in the mail signed only the watcher the letter had no return address but whoever wrote it seemed to have been watching the Brotus family very carefully. I see that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. The letter continued, tisk tisk tisk. bad move. See, when I feel like someone says like tsk, tisk tsk, tisk, like I feel like you're just like you shouldn't be doing that, or like you're scolding somebody. I guess like tisk tisk tisk, bad bad. You don't want to make Six Fifty Seven Boulevard unhappy. And then I said, "What the heck, guys?" Even more disturbing, the watcher noted that the note. The watcher noted that the three children. And asked if there was more on the way. And then said, do you need to fill the house with young blood? I requested ew. Creep vibes, okay? And then they said, better for me. No. See. We're we're not gonna get there. Um I also read that I didn't write this down, but I just read it. Because I got it for I got this stuff from two sites. Um The Watcher asked if the house that they lived in previously before they moved here. Um, if it was getting too small and they like needed to upgrade or whatever. So yeah, that's creepy. So a little backstory about the brotus family before we um, before they we go into that they bought the house in 2014. The brotuses were an average suburban family. Maria Brotus had grown up In New Jersey, just blocks away from the house at 657 Boulevard, which I found a little weird. Located 45 minutes from New York City, the town of Westfield is a sleepy suburb where the biggest gossip before the watcher came on the scene was the collapse of a local Trader Joe's roof, according to the cut where I got a lot of this stuff from. Residents viewed Westville as a real-life Mayberry, the fictional small town that served as a backdrop to the Andy Griffith Show. The website Neighborhood Scout listed it as one of the top 30 safest communities in America in 2014. And as of 2019, it had a median house income of $159,923. But the affluent suburb has been the scene of other horrors in the past. In 1970, a man named John List infamously murdered his wife and three children in their Westfield home. But that horrifying crime had since become a distant memory. And most people in Westfield felt secure in their community, which I wouldn't. But hey, Derek, on the other hand, had grown up in Maine in a working class family. But from his humble beginnings, he had worked his way up to a position as a senior vice president at a Manhattan insurance company. So good job, guys. It seemed like Marie and Derek were definitely doing pretty well. In June 2014, after Derek celebrated his 40th birthday, the couple closed on the six-bedroom house at 657 Boulevard and began making renovations to move in with their 5-, 8-, and 10-year-old children. Then the watcher's letters started. The first letter arrived at the watcher uh, I'm sorry. The first letter arrived at the watcher house on a June evening. Derek had been painting a few walls at his family's new home and after he, after he finished up, he decided to go check the mail. And he discovered a white card sized envelope addressed in thick handwriting. To the new owner, the typed letter started off with a with warm words of welcome, but soon devolved into bizarre and threatening passages that described how the author had watched the house for decades. I think they watched it for. They just watched for decades. I don't remember actually how much. They claimed that their father watched it. Oh man, I read this. I think it was like 1920s or whatever. And then their grandfather watched it. I think in the 1960s. And now it was this person's turn to watch the house. And the house was actually built in 1905. And then they said, Do you know the history of the house? The watcher wrote, do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. And then I said, I'm sorry, but if I ever got notes like this when I buy my first home, I'm moving out. I don't care if I just bought it. I'm running away so fast. Y'all ain't gonna ever find me. That's a hard nope the letter also said i asked the woods to bring me young blood and it looks like they listened referring to the previous owners the letter asked the children's names saying once i know their names i will call to them and draw them to me yeah no 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 you do not need to know my children's names you do not you don't need to know anything about me just Go go do something. Unsettled, unsettled by this, Derek decided to call the police call the Westfield police, who recommended moving any construction equipment outside the house in just in case the watcher became emboldened enough to throw it through one of the windows. Police also advised the Brodus's not to say anything to the other neighbors yet, as they were all suspects because they didn't know who this person was. The Brotuses next contacted the Woods family, who had sold them the house, and Andrea Woods confirmed that they did get an odd note signed by the watcher, but said she had dismissed it as it was harmless and she actually threw it out. She also said that she and her husband had lived there for 23 years. And they have only heard from the watcher once in the whole 23 years, which is crazy. But Derek and Maria couldn't shake their fear that they were being watched. And to that, I say, same. Because I couldn't live in fear every single day. That would just scare me. I wouldn't feel safe. The second letter from the watcher arrived two weeks later, after the first. This time, it was addressed to the Broduses by name, and they listed their three children by their nicknames. Mm-mm. See, that's not good because someone is hardcore watching y'all. The watcher also mentioned mentioned an easel. That one of their daughters had set up on a porch, only visible from the side or the rear of the house, asking, is she the artist in the family? And I read um, nobody, like, no bypassers could see this porch and stuff like that. So it was very weird. Additionally, the second letter made more oblique references to something hidden in the walls of the house and thanked the Broduses for bringing more young blood. After getting a second letter, Derek and Maria began to feel panicked and edgy around all of their new neighbors who they saw as potential stalkers, which makes sense. They put their renovations on hold and stopped taking their kids to the house. A third letter arrived a couple weeks later. Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Deeply troubled by the letters, the Brotuses continued to reach out to the Westfield police and Detect- Detective Leonardo Lugo led the investigation for a time Lugo suspected their next-door neighbor Michael Langford, who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. However, DNA found on one of the envelopes indicated that a woman had that a woman had sealed sealed the letters with her saliva. And the sample didn't match anyone in the Langf- Langford home. Furthermore, Michael Langford denied any involvement, and his family backed him up, saying there was no way he would write such threatening notes. And they tried to pinpoint this a lot on the Langford, the Langford family. Um, but they lived, they lived in that house since childhood. The mom was like, I believe. I believe she was in her 90s and all of her children lived with her and stuff like that. Um, Newcomers, like neighbors said that Michael did kind of like creep out like the new neighbors and stuff, but it wasn't him. And they tried to really pinpoint it on them for a long time until they finally had to drop it. You don't have DNA or anything. ...to, you know, match it to. So it couldn't have been them. Desperate for answers, the Broduses enlisted a slew of experts to investigate. Derek reached out to a real-life FBI agent... ...who inspired the character of Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs... ...whom he was on a school board of trustees... The Brodusses also taped former FBI agent Robert Lehan to do a threat assessment on the letters. His analysts showed that the writer was likely an older person based on vocabulary and their habit of double spacing after a period. Lehan concluded that the letter... Writer didn't appear overtly threatening but their obviously erratic thoughts could suggest unpredictability. They also hired a security firm cruel to look for handwriting matches to the envelopes but nothing emerged. Still determined to get answers the family hired a forensic, linguistic, and former of the band Shanana, Robert Leonard, to scour local forums for language patterns that resembled the mysterious watcher's notes. But all these efforts came to nothing. Despite assembling an incredible investigation team, the Brotuses had no answers, At the end of the day, it came down to what are you willing to risk, Maria Brodus said. We weren't going to put our kids in harm's way. Finally, six months after the first letter arrived, Derek and Maria put the house back up on the market, asking for a bit more than they had paid as they assumed their renovations would raised the value. However, they disclosed the bizarre watcher letters to potential buyers. All offers fell through later. In 2015, the Brodus the Broduses filed that suit against the Woods family for not disclosing to them that the letter had been received from the watcher before the sale. In 2017 a New Jersey judge threw out the suit saying it could set an unreasonable precedent for what sellers would have to disclose. Meanwhile, some in the community be- community began to wonder if the Broduses weren't sending the letters to themselves in order to get out of a house that they couldn't afford. As one resident told... Gothamist how can a couple with a 300000 house in Scotch Plains and a $175,000 mortgage 10 years ago have a $1.1 million mortgage in 2016 the brotuses made a brief effort to have the house torn down and redevelop the lot so they wanted to tear it down and I think they wanted to make two separate homes and rent them out but their plans weren't approved and the neighbors weren't having it but a final letter from the watcher arrived threatening to exact revenge exact revenge on them if they harmed the house maybe a car accident maybe a fire maybe something as simple as a mild illness that seems to never go away But makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Make a mysterious death of a pet happen. Loved ones suddenly die. It went on to say, you wonder who the Watcher is. Turn around, idiots. So if it wasn't the Langfords, then who watched the house all of them years? It makes you wonder, right? After years of the house being on the market, the Watcher house finally sold in 2019, with the Broadduses taking a $440,000 loss. As far as theories that the Brotuses faked the Watcher, Derek Brotus flatly denies them as he told The Cut... This person attacked my family and where I'm from where I'm from, if you do that, then you get your butt beat. It didn't say but it said the other word, but I'm doing so good on not swearing. I just didn't want to swear, so I switched the words. There is a silver lining for the family, however. According to Dateline, Netflix bought the rights to their creepy creepy tale in twenty nineteen. Oh, and I forgot to put these um, extra letters that I found that I didn't find on the first one. Um, The watcher said to them that the children should be afraid to play in the basement because it's so isolated. And the watcher also wanted to know who would be sleeping in the bedrooms facing the street. And the watcher claimed that once they moved in, it would help him know who was in which bedroom. Quote, then I can plan better. Like now, that's just weird. The watcher also claimed that he was, they were very, I can't even say he. The watcher claimed that they were very familiar with the home saying that they ran from room to room imagining life with rich occupants there and everything like that and he would always bring up like when they were doing the renovations like obviously he saw the contractors right and he would ask did they find what's in the walls did they find what's in the walls but I read somewhere that They like looked in the walls through whatever, like whatever they detected and everything, but they couldn't find anything. And what's the deal with the young blood? I, I don't get it. Like, maybe he's a serial killer and everything like that. Guys, I I have no idea. But. Um, neighbors do think it might be a hoax that I keep hearing something and it's freaking me out. But neighbors do believe that the Broduses made the whole thing up and stuff like that. That it was all fake. Because it was so weird. Like, they're like, what? But I also read the Watcher's told them that everybody in the community follows this thing to a T. So who knows? Um, contractors said there was this like one couple who would sit out in their backyard and watch 657 Boulevard. So I don't know what's going on about that, but if it wasn't the Langfords, who was it? And why do you guys feel like you have to watch this house? And why have you been watching it for, like, decades? I think it said, like, two decades or whatever. Like, what? But, guys, that is the story of the Watcher House. And it's pretty creepy. I'm not going to lie to y'all. That's pretty creepy. Um, The case, the next case we're going to be doing. we're going to go back to our murder. Um, when I woke up last night at 2, I was scrolling through Facebook, and a case popped up of, um, Tyler Hindley, and I read it all, and it, it, I've heard the case once, and everything, and I'm like, huh, this would be a good case to do, so that's gonna be our next case, and that's gonna be up Wednesday, um, thank you guys for your support review subscribe to my podcast say hello send me an email or a case you want to do and my email is justagirlandtruecrime at gmail.com you can follow me on instagram at justagirlandtruecrime you can also follow my facebook page at justagirlandtruecrime and I think that's it 28 minutes, okay, a little shorter than I anticipated, but hey, that's alright, I might fall asleep, it's almost midnight, well, it's 11.30, not almost midnight, so, you know, that's it guys, and I hope you enjoyed that story, and I'll be talking to you Wednesday, bye!